0: Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio
1: tuned to this frequency.
0: You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host.
2: I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy.
1: Brian Berger. You have found the most informative hour of sports radio you'll listen to all week long and the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in this week. In segment three, we're going to step into the technology lab. Tim Canfield, he's the managing partner of a nationally renowned company called Downstream. Downstream is a sports division called OneUp, and they are introducing some incredibly innovative technologies in the sports world, both on the field of play and off the field of play, doing some incredible things with fan experiences. Tim and his group have worked on projects for a number of sports properties, including the University of Florida, LSU, the University of Oregon, and even NASCAR. We're going to catch up with Tim and find out how his company is helping to enhance the experience of players and fans across the country in Segment 3. In Segment 4, Sports Sense, Maury Brown from TheBizOfBaseball.com will join us to discuss the best and worst returns on investment for the first half of the Major League Baseball season. We're coming up on the All-Star break, so we thought we'd look back on the first half of the season, which teams and which players are overperforming and which are underperforming. We'll tell you. We'll also preview Tuesday's Major League Baseball All-Star Game in San Francisco. A couple of other notes. Visit our new and improved website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to SBR On Demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm joined this week in studio by Bobby Corser, my producer. Bobby, Tiger Woods is hosting a golf tournament at Congressional in D.C., and we'll talk about this in our next segment. But for his first tournament, and for a tournament that was really put together in three months, he's getting rave reviews.
3: Absolutely. It's funny, though. They take away the tournament in Denver, I believe it was. He comes out and he hosts his own thing. Three months to put together a golf tournament is not an easy thing, but he seems to be able to pull it off.
1: Yeah, I mean, only Tiger Woods and only someone who's got the power of IMG and AT&T, who's the sponsor of this tournament, could probably pull something like this off in three months and make it come off the way it does. We're also going to talk about the players and the caliber of player that he's gotten to play at this event. And finally, he's doing some incredible things for his charity. Some people knock on Tiger. They say, hey, he doesn't take a stand politically on things. But I will say this, Tiger Woods quietly does as much for charity as any athlete on the planet. So we'll talk about that. The other thing we're going to talk about, the 2014 Winter Olympics, they have a new home. Where? We will tell you in our next segment. Headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business. Radio we will be right back. Right now, he's probably
3: slow dancing with a beach blonde champ, And she's probably getting through. Pretty-
1: Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the Center's website, The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the IOC this week selected Russia. To host the 2014 Winter Olympics, they bested South Korea by a vote of 51 to 47. South Korea led the first round of voting with 36 votes, followed by Russia with 34. And Salzburg, Austria, was eliminated after drawing only 25 votes. Now, the Saatchi, and I think I have that pronounced correctly, Russia, and Pyeongchang South Korea campaign's They each cost about $40 million. So if you lost and you spent $40 million like South Korea did, ouch. Salzburg, that bid cost about $10 million. Now, I guess the IOC is saying one of the deciding factors for them was that Russian President Vladimir Putin spoke for about five minutes on behalf of the Russian campaign. And, Bobby, I guess that was one of the things that sealed the deal for them.
3: I absolutely agree. I think it's a great move to finally move something even though it is going to be in Russia, you know they have a huge tradition with winter sports. It's a good move. I'm not sure if it, going to South Korea would have been a good idea. Just political turmoil, still a little bit too high in that region.
1: Now we talk about Putin. Uh, Tony Blair, the former Prime Minister of uh, Britain, he spoke to wrap up the 2012 Olympic bid for London. So I guess when you have your, your heavy hitter come in and speak on behalf of your country to try and win an Olympic bid, that really helps your cause. You know, the Boston Red Sox paid
3: almost as much as the
1: bids to talk to Daisuke. Yeah, that's that's a funny uh, stat and that kind of puts it all into perspective. Our next headline, we tease this in segment one, the PGA Tour's inaugural AT&T National. It's hosted by Tiger Woods. It was conceived just about four months ago, but it already has the look and feel of one of the best tournaments on the tour. Woods has attracted the best players on the tour. Phil Mickelson, Jim Furyk, Adam Scott, Vijay Singh, Jeff Ogilvie, they're all there. And then Congressional is really one of the, Favorite golf courses for all these players. Some people said, Hey, we really like Tiger, but we like playing this course even more. 600 media credentials issued for the tournament this week. So, again, this is a tournament that only four months ago was just an idea, and now you look and see what it looks like in reality, and they've done an incredible job, and they're raising lots of money for charity. The other thing they're doing that I think is really cool remember, Tiger Woods' father, Earl, was a military man. Tiger grew up on a military base. If you are a member of the military, man or woman, and you show up at congressional this weekend and you want to watch some golf, You get in for absolutely free. That is cool. That is really cool.
3: And, you know, I find it special that he has it now over the 4th of July weekend. America's birthday. What a better place to be than at the U.S. Capitol in Washington watching some great golf and some great golfers.
1: Well, and Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, these guys have hosted their own tournaments. It's time for Tiger Woods to do the same. Crowds of 35,000 people a day are expected. The economic impact for the D.C. area, about $100 And the best thing of all is that the Tiger Woods Charity Event Corporation is going to get the proceeds from this event. And just like Tiger Woods has built a learning center in Orange County, he's hoping to build a similar center on the East Coast. I don't think Tiger gets enough credit for what he does for charity. Maybe he doesn't come out in the media and take a stand on some political issues like he could, but I'll tell you what, it is underreported what he does for charity. Absolutely.
3: Somebody asked him even this week if he'd ever consider running... For office, you know, in politics, and he just basically brushed aside, saying, "Nah, I have no, I have no reason to."
1: Well, and Papa Bush uh, walked the course with Tiger during the pro am. He hit the ceremonial first shot on uh, number one, so they got out there. And you know, Tiger is a political power broker this week in D.C. Our next headline: The All England Club officials admitted that they made a big boo boo. They did not take out insurance against rainouts. And boy, there have been a lot of rainouts to the tune of about $2 million American money per day at Wimbledon this year. Bobby, the bad news is is they're building a roof, but the roof won't be ready until 2009. We have seen time and time again at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open— Money is being lost because of rainouts. The U.S. Open, I think, at the U.S. uh, Tennis Center in Flushing Meadows, they need a roof as well. I
3: totally agree. I heard a couple commentators on ESPN over the week saying, hey, well, why don't they just move Wimbledon back? And to watch the faces of the British citizens and the British commentators... It was almost like you were asking them to completely
1: remove Wimbledon from the schedule altogether. No, it's not going to work. And the rule states that ticket holders are given a full refund if they see less than an hour's play at Wimbledon, and they're given half their money back if they only see one to two hours. Well, in the last week or so, people are seeing almost no tennis because of all the rain. If you've got TV deals with NBC, ESPN, and others— You've got to be able to at least play your primary matches on center court so there's at least something to watch on TV. Those TV deals are worth too much money. They've got to build a roof. Our next headline, Greg Oden, the top pick in the recent NBA draft, he signed a contract with the Portland Trail Blazers this past week. He signs a two-year agreement. The Blazers have the option on years three and four. Oden is going to make about $3.8 million for his rookie season, about $4.1 million for his second season and 4.4 for his third season. Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, others, they also signed their rookie contracts this week. Our next headline, the Big Ten Network. They're officially going to debut on August 30th at 7 p.m. with the Big Ten tonight. Now, 75 cable systems have picked up the Big Ten Network, Bobby, but really, they're going to be a regional network and I don't think a lot of people are going to see them when they start. And really, people in the West, Pac-10 schools, people in the South, SEC, they're probably not even going to tune into the Big Ten network. I totally
3: agree with you. I mean, if Notre Dame was a part of, say, the Big Ten, I think their reigns would be up because we all know that Notre Dame has a huge following. Teams like Michigan and Michigan State, even Illinois, Wisconsin, they have their fans that have spread out across the country, but nowhere near the amount of you know viewers that this
1: network is looking to get outside of their zone. Our next headline, Tuesday night, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in San Francisco at AT AT&T Park. Yankees third baseman Alex Rodriguez is going to get a $200,000 bonus. It's the highest among any player for being selected. To the All Star Game, several players, including Maglio, Ordóñez, Yvonne Rodríguez, Carlos Beltran, and Vladimir Guerrero, are going to get out a hundred thousand dollars apiece for being selected. A-Rod's already making twenty seven million. Bobby so two hundred grand. That's walking around money for him. He'll pay his night on the town. Yeah, low blow. Our last headline of the week: the reg- the legend of Reggie Bush continues. You know, we talked last week about his spot with Adidas and. David Beckham, now he's going to be doing spots over the next few months with Subway, Visa, Pepsi. This guy is going to be everywhere. He's going to be doing a PSA campaign on obesity. So Reggie Bush, only in his second year in New Orleans, not a huge market. That doesn't matter. He's getting lots and lots of exposure via his endorsement deals, so keep your eyes open for those. Coming up next, we're going to catch up with Tim Canfield, who's the managing partner of Downstream. He heads up their sports and retail division called One Up. Lots of good stuff coming up from him. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. You're
4: so fine, I want you, your money so delicious.
0: or online at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Bringing you up to speed on the latest breakthroughs in the world of sports. Let's enter the Technology Lab.
1: My guest is Tim Canfield. He's the managing partner of a nationally renowned company called Downstream. Tim, thanks for joining me.
2: No problem, Brian. Nice to be on.
1: So, Tim, Downstream has a subsidiary company. It does a lot of amazing work in the sports arena. It's called OneUp. Tell us what OneUp is.
2: OneUp is actually a partnership between two companies, Downstream, which is a multidisciplinary uh, design firm here in Portland, Oregon, and Exos Technologies, which is a leading technology provider for the sports industry so we've combined to create a design and technology uh, company called OneUp. It's actually not a company. It's really just a joint venture between uh, the two of us. Right. And uh, what we're doing is working on facilities uh, for franchises and major college uh, programs all over the country.
1: Yeah, more and more we're seeing design and technology coming together. Let's first start about uh, performance off the field. You're helping sports programs Pro sports teams perform better off the field. One of the more highly profile uh, projects that you've worked on is the University of Oregon football locker room. Talk about some of those projects, if you would.
2: Sure, yeah. Uh, With the University of Oregon, you know, they're very visionary, they're very forward-thinking and progressive. They've done a lot of extensive work on their facilities over the years, and they're actually nationally renowned amongst a lot of the other programs for being forward-thinking and taking aggressive steps to um, you know, to push their brand forward and to kind of market their program in a unique way. And so part of how they've done that is they've, they've done an extensive amount, of, extensive amount of work on their facilities. Um, they, we did projects for them. One was called the Game Day Experience. Uh, we also designed and implemented all the technology in their weight room, and then kind of the pinnacle project that we did for them was their football locker room. And you know, how their how that helps them perform better off the field is that, you know, we look at a locker room for example, using the Oregon locker room as an example, we look at that as a selling environment and by that we mean, you know, not not really sales directly but The return on investment for Oregon on those types of facilities is obviously to attract uh, better talent, to retain staff, to get donors excited, to get all the the community excited around what the team is doing. And, you know, Oregon obviously has a lot of interesting things that they're doing from, you know, their progressive, cutting-edge uniforms that they get from Nike right down to the facilities and technology that they're using to, to get better on the field. Yeah. off the field, yeah, go ahead, Brian.
1: No, I was going to say you hit on a really interesting point, recruiting. I mean, when you're little Eugene, Oregon, and you're competing against the likes of USC, UCLA, uh, Arizona State, the Miamis of the world, you've got to do things like this to keep up with the Joneses, don't
2: you? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, you have to have modern facilities. You have to have highly functional facilities. And then if they've got a really nice wow factor in addition to that, then that's kind of the icing on the cake. And so what we're trying to do is create facilities that are very functional. An example in the Oregon locker room is that the the coaches in there have great sight lines. They can see everybody in the room at one time. Um, We've created what we called kind of an inner sanctum, which is kind of the core of the room where the whole team can come together. We did things like integrate HVAC into the lockers so that, Anything that's damp that gets put in there gets dried, you know, just by circulating the air through there. And then we um, we put a big door on the side of the building that opens up, kind of like a garage door, to let those guys in and out in mass uh, on game day. And those were things that, while they're cool, they they really are efficient also because they allow a lot of people to get in, get in and out quickly. And I think that helps them, you know, ever so little, ever so slightly, on the field because they they get to spend more time talking to each other at halftime.
1: Sure, and Tim, I want to continue that uh, conversation about the on the field performance not only are you doing things off the field like locker rooms and some of the things you just mentioned but on the field you're helping your clients perform better maybe you can uh, discuss that with us a little bit
2: yes well the exos technologies piece of one-up um you know if i was to say <clears throat> the, if i was to characterize the partnership the partnership that we have with exos really is We make the design and the environment, we make it cool, we make it functional, we make the space comfortable to be in. Exos makes it work. They make it work from a technology standpoint, and they also make it work on the field. And how they make it work on the field is, you know, they've got about a 95% market penetration on coaching tools. And so the the video editing tools that all the coaches use to break down game film uh, is designed, (coughs) excuse me, designed and managed by Exos. So when they're doing their, what you probably hear in the industry, their game cutups. Right. You know, each of the special teams, the special teams coach, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, coordinator, everybody gets their game film at the end of the game, and these are clips that are sorted into a database. They're searchable. It's it's a highly efficient way to analyze the game after it's taken place, or to look at someone else's uh, game footage. In addition to that, they've they've partnered with EA Sports, and they have a Playmaker tool. Where you you know coaches can draw up a play and then they can drag that over into basically the same uh, engine that Madden Football plays on, and you can you can take a play that you've just designed and bring it to life in a 3D video game like environment, and that helps people visualize how the play is going to unfold. You can look at it from different angles, and so there's just a. They've also got a new thing called Sport Motion, which uses infrared cameras to um, track the motion of athletes and analyze them and break them down. So for example, if a quarterback is dropping back into the pocket, they can measure and look at that uh, in lots of different ways that will help them understand how efficient his movement is, how consistent it is, and then I uh, you know, isolate areas where improvement can be gained.
1: We're in the Technology Lab on Sports Business Radio. My guest is Tim Canfield. He's with a company called One Up. You can find them online at downstream.com. Okay, Tim, we've talked about what One Up is doing to enhance the experience of teams uh, now let's talk about what you're doing to ex- enhance the experience of the fans, because I know you're doing a lot in that arena as well.
2: Well, what we're trying to do is kind of combine, you know, we're trying to combine the business of running a major program with design and technology. And, and so an example is, um, you know, you've got an athletic, if, if I stick on the college front for a minute, if you've got an athletic department, the athletic department has some major athletic programs uh, that are revenue makers um they're out in a very competitive market trying to trying to recruit the best athletes in the world. They're trying to get a huge donor base, um, you know, rallied and focused around their initiatives and their growth plans. And so what we're trying to do is create environments within those athletic departments that allows everybody to focus on one goal and move forward. Kind of a byproduct of that is the is having kind of the front room that points towards the the community. So, if you walk into Austin State or into the Casanova Center at Oregon or into the football operations building at Florida, uh, Michigan State, it depends. Um, you're going to see basically, you know, 21st design and 21st century design and technology coming together to create interactive experiences. An example is you can go up and press a button on a wall in the Casanova Center and and get a film that we created there called the game day experience. And when that comes to life, you see, you know, stop motion animation of the stadium filling up. There's really rocking music playing. And, you know, you get a whole montage of of game clips that happen over, over the course of the season. And it really helps you understand how exciting Austin stadium can be if you happen to be there on a day when the stadium's empty, or if you're a recruit that happens to be there on the day when the stadium's empty. And so there's a lot of, um, A lot of the work that we do benefits the community and the people walking in and, and, you know, heightens the fan experience, but it also has benefits for the donors and the recruits that are coming through.
1: Now, Tim, you guys are doing some things in uh, NASCAR as well. Can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah,
2: well, one of the – you know, that's a great point. One of the most interesting things about NASCAR – you know, it's funny, coming from from the northwest where NASCAR is probably not near as popular as it is on the east and southeast in particular – um, you know, getting into NASCAR was exciting for us because we hadn't had a lot of exposure to it. And one of the things that we quickly, you know, discovered about NASCAR was, you know, it's probably one of the most like auto racing in general is one of the most complex sports, you know, in the world because right. of the amount of focus that goes into building the equipment and training the drivers and all that. And so how we're how technology is coming to life for us in NASCAR is that the same software that we use to break down you know, NBA and NFL games is now being used to break down pit stops. And mm-hmm. So the the pit teams can now, you know, record that car coming into the pit box and break it down 40 different ways. They can, they can, you know, measure the speed of all the tire changers, the jack man, the gas man, all those guys that are doing those things, and they can just hammer on efficiency and try to fine-tune and get those times down. And, you know, if you watch a NASCAR race, you'll see – you know, there's a graphic that comes up as everybody leaves the pits after their pit stops, and some people are picking up four spots, and some people are losing four spots. And so that's a critical point in the race where really being able to break down and analyze how well your pit crew is doing uh, is important. On the other side of the coin, back at the race car shop, we worked for Michael Waltrip Racing in the last year. He's He's just launched four cup teams this year. You know, and these these NASCAR uh, teams are huge. They're like, uh, some of them have the equivalent revenue of, you know, NBA franchises. They're major sports, you know, outlets. And uh, so a lot of these guys have 150,000, 250,000 square foot race car shops. And the fan accessibility in NASCAR is just massive. That's one of the things that's most appealing about it is that, you know, you can pay to practically get right up to the car window to watch the driver climb in the car if, if you, you know, want to be down there that low. And so what we did with Michael Waltrip racing, and he's, he's, you know, he's known as kind of a visionary and I think will be looked back on as a pioneer in NASCAR, but uh, we created 140,000 square foot space for him where the fans can come in the front of his race car shop, um, see a bunch of displays and media that we did about all the drivers downstairs, and then they can go upstairs, and there's literally a whole second floor that goes over the top of this entire race car shop so the fans can go window by window, bay by bay, and see how these race cars are put together. How cool. Yeah, and there's interactives all along the way. So you can go by the gear and transmission shop. You can go to the tire shop. You can go to the body shop, the paint shop, the engine shop, the chassis dyno, and all of that. There's a, there's a full-size movie theater with a 12-minute film that we created called The Race to the Green Flag. And so these fans literally can come in and get granular on uh, how these race cars are brought to life between, you know, Monday and Sunday.
1: Tim, we've got just a few minutes left. Uh, You guys are leading trends in the executive briefing center marketplace. Tell us about that, if you would.
2: Yeah, well, you know, on the downstream side of things, um, we've really made a mark in executive briefing centers. And what's happening in the – and how this is relevant to sports, I'll get to in a second. But what's happening in the corporate world is a lot of these corporations that sell to other businesses, the business-to-business guys – are creating these wonderful executive briefing centers and what they've discovered is that it's much better to bring your customer to you than it is to go see your customer. You can just, you get their full attention you have a chance to, to build your relationship on all sides of, of, of the business, you know, including the products. And so what they're doing is creating these really nice business-to-business selling environments where you're able to, you know, basically showcase your value, your brand's value, all your products. And and the way that we're doing that is we're doing the, the interior and environmental design, but we're also understanding the core, you know, value proposition that companies bring to life. An example is Cisco Systems has a 60,000-square-foot briefing center with 22 conference rooms. And these are really high-end environments with a lot of interactivity, a lot lot of digital media. And so what we're seeing a trend in the sports world is that a lot of these arenas and facilities that are being built are becoming not only fan-centric places, but business-to-business selling environments. And So a lot of the corporations that are buying premium seating, luxury seats, those types of things are are wanting to see more business to business amenities in those facilities. And so what we've done is started working in that area to try to take what we've learned over in the executive briefing center business and apply it to the sports arena business. Tim, we've got one minute
1: left. You know, uh, in this day and age, everyone's looking for new ways to generate revenue. OneUp is helping pro sports franchises and college programs generate new revenue. Give us a few ways that you're doing that in the next uh, minute, if you
2: could. Sure. Well, one of the things that's going on is obviously it's a digitally enabled society now, and, and downstream, while well, we're you know we're designing environments and specifying technology and all that, we're also a media company. And so, one of the things that we're working with several of our customers to do is to identify how to leverage the product that they have. An example is um, in the nFL you know the teams themselves own the content from from the edge of the field back, and you know that nFL owns the content on the field, but there's a lot of stuff happening in the locker room in meetings with coaches and players. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that the that the really targeted fan would love to have access to, and so we're trying to help these teams figure out how to monetize that content, turn it into business revenue, um, take advantage of the digital society that's out there um, via new media.
1: Well, Tim, fascinating stuff. I love the work you guys are doing. I look forward to seeing some of it in person, and I appreciate you taking time to join us. Uh, tell us how people can find more information on OneUp.
2: The best thing to do is go to www.downstream.com and um, just get in touch with us.
1: That's great. Tim, Again, I'd love to have you on the show in the future. Thanks for making the time.
2: Love to do it. Thanks, Brian. You're listening to Sports
1: Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio.
0: One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports. Business Radio.
1: My guest is an old friend of the show, someone we haven't had on in a while, but it's long overdue. Maury Brown with TheBizOfBaseball.com. Maury, thanks for taking time this week.
4: Hey, Brian, any time for you. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing great. So, you know, we're going into the all-star break. Lots of baseball. I feel like we've been talking so much NBA lately. I'm actually really excited to talk about some baseball this week. I want to talk to you about the best and the worst returns on investment during the first half of the baseball season. Let's start with teams. Give me two or three teams that you think are the best return on investment thus far in the season.
4: Well, I think you probably have to look right now and, and say that it's probably the Cleveland Indians. Um, you know, they're they're doing fantastic in the standings right now. They're they're leading the AL Central and they have pretty much a bare bones uh payroll right now. They're just over sixty one million dollars, somewhere between sixty one and sixty two million, and are sitting pretty much down in the bottom uh of all the teams basically. So you know, the teams that are around them are, are the Padres who are doing really well, but the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, uh, the Pirates, they're sitting in the bottom uh, of the, the payroll chain, basically, in terms of opening day payroll. So there's certainly a team that's doing well. The other one that I mentioned, obviously, is the Padres, and they're doing even better with a, with a opening day payroll of just over $58 million. So when you start to look at these teams that are performing and you ask yourself really whether uh, the revenue-sharing system is working and whether – uh, the schedule is working, whether the wild card is working, we're starting to see some instances of that, whether it's cyclical or not. Um, when you start to see how the Yankees are performing uh, and some other teams that are in, in larger markets um, with larger payrolls, um, it's, it's very interesting to watch. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, the Diamondbacks are even below that. They're sitting at $52 million, and they're right in the hunt as well. So that's probably your best return on, on the dollar right now, um, they're, they're in divisions where they, you know, can have lower payrolls and yet still contend within their markets. And that's kind of a key point to this, Brian. Yeah, I think you know this. It's, it's difficult to compete in the AL East with a payroll like that. I mean, you do have to try and go after free agents. And so those teams that are in, say, the AL East where they have to compete with the Yankees and the Red Sox have to spend a little bit more.
1: Let's talk about the worst return. Obviously, one of the worst returns, and we've talked about this in in recent weeks of all time, has got to be the Yankees. They've got a payroll approaching $200 million, and this is a team that looks like they're going to miss the playoffs. Give me some other teams that you think just not getting the return on their investment.
4: Well, the Chicago White Sox are right up there with the Yankees right now. They have an opening day payroll of $108 million and change and they're they're floundering. They they've only won thirty six games, you know, they're basically sitting just above. They have the same amount of wins as the Royals right now. Oof. And and certainly so they would be a team that, that simply is not performing very well at the moment. Um, you know, the Baltimore Royals have a ninety three million dollar payroll and they're floundering as well. You know, they have to compete with the Red Sox, uh, and the Yankees and so they would probably be another team that's just simply not getting a good return on investment. Uh you know, you can you can go through and, and say that that those teams are certainly, you know, your bellwethers for bad performance. But the Yankees are clearly, you know, a step above everybody else. They have some contracts that are just incredible right now, and we can certainly talk about Roger Clemens in a couple moments as being a questionable call, but Carl Pavano's is another. And, you know, they, it really is one of those situations to where you have to start asking yourself whether the money that they are, they are spending is well spent.
1: My guest is Maury Brown. He's with thebizofbaseball.com. Maury, good transition. Let's talk about individual players now. Give me the three best signings, the guys who are really overperforming for what they're being paid.
4: Well, uh, Hideki uh, Okajima, who just was selected today to the All-Star game, is kind of an interesting case. You know, he was brought in on a two-year, $2.5 million deal. He had a, a $1.75 million club option for 2009, and he's 2-0 and oh with over 38 games. He's got a, an ERA that's below one. And as I mentioned, he was voted in today on what they call the final vote, the, the Monster.com final vote uh, into the All-Star Game. The other guy is is probably Josh Beckett, who was a real gamble. Uh, and once again, we're talking about the Red Sox. He had a three-year, thirty million dollar deal, um, but he, you know, he's eleven and two. He's sitting right behind uh, CC Sabathia, who had a loss today, so he's going to be tied with him, um, you know, and he, he's doing good. He got selected to the all Well, and
1: I remember, Maury, not to cut you off, but I remember there were a lot of people that made a, a big deal about that contract when Becca got the deal, and they said, this guy gets hurt all the time. This is a terrible contract for the Red Sox. It looks pretty good right now, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, and that's kind of the way that this market has been this year. You know, when you initially look at things in a vacuum, when you look at things when you're sitting on top of it, and the the market hasn't fully had time to adjust, you know, certainly some contracts look bad. I know a lot of people have looked at um, Dice came Matsuzaka and said, "Look at that contract. That's insane." Well, if you take out the posting fee along with it, and you look at how he's performed, it's looking like a pretty good return on investment. About right now, um, it's certainly one of those things to where, at the time that things take place, depending on how other players are performing, uh, you know, if the gamble works out, there's certainly a gambling ball. I mean, Josh Beckett is a, is a major gamble given the injuries that he's had, but you know, he's come out and he's really shined this year. So. Uh, the, probably the biggest return on investment, and it was a major, major gamble by the Cincinnati Reds, was uh, in inquiring Josh Hamilton. And now, totally agree. Yeah, to give some background on him, you know, he was suspended indefinitely by MLB in 2004 for he had a bad run of drug abuse. Um, he had been suspended from the game, um, and he works his he works his way back. You know, it was a one year deal at the league minimum, and. Uh, he led the league in he led the national League in write in votes for the all star game and he 's just really been doing very well it 's a good feel good story to see that somebody has you know climbed past personal adversity and he 's performing well um, on the Cincinnati Reds right now so that 's probably one of those cases where you 're seeing some real return on investment
1: you know some people are going to call me crazy, but I think that is the feel good story of the year I just you know i 've seen all the stories on him and what he 's had to overcome and to see what he 's doing this year is just Really, really great. Let's talk about the worst returns on investment, and I'm going to give you two that are on my list. One, as we discussed a moment ago, has got to be Roger Clemens, and not so much that he's pitching poorly, but just what they're paying him to do what he's doing. And then the other is Barry Zito, but I want to hear from you uh, who your uh, worst returns on investment are.
4: Well, certainly Clemens rates right up there. I mean, when you start offering deals like that, when you're doing a prorated deal, which is basically going to come out to about $17.4 million over the course of the year, it was you know and $22 to match his, his playing number, which was kind of a, a fun thing that was thrown in there. But he's two and three over six games. He's got a, you know, he's over four with his ERA, and he's at 44. He's really, you know, a, a diminishing return. He was he was, a, a, uh, it, it was a, a very risky investment in terms of his age, being able to get back up to speed. You know, he doesn't have spring training. He doesn't have those opening games that don't matter and where every game matters to the Yankees to get into the playoffs. And let's be honest, that's why he was brought in to get him into the playoffs and try and do something there. If they don't make the playoffs, that's bound to be the worst investment on return. Certainly Barry Zito is the other one. It's a seven-year deal. It was a considerable amount of money. Um, the Giants are sitting in last place right now. It's, it's really a bad situation. It was a, it was a bad deal, I think, from the get-go. It's just extremely difficult to do projections on pitchers. Um, pitchers are a risky investment to, to begin with, but when you start trying to project out seven years, you know, it's a major gamble. You know, you have to ask yourself what Brian Sabian was doing with that. Um, Carl Pavano is certainly another case for the Yankees. You know, it was a four-year deal, almost $40 million, um, and he's pitched in exactly two games this season, and, and he's only done 19 total in the past two years since he's been signed. And then the last guy is Jason Giambi, who I'm sure we're going to talk about here in a couple of minutes, because... He's you know collecting twenty one million dollars this year. He's out on the DL and could be out for a considerable period of the season. And oh, by the way, he's having to deal with this uh, comments that he made today.
1: My guest is Mori Brown with thebizofbaseball.com. dot com. Let's talk about that. Let's transition into that. You know, Bud Selig, Jason Giambi. Uh, Bud Selig told Jason Giambi, I want you to meet with independent investigator George Mitchell. If you don't, there could be consequences. Giambi obviously made some comments to USA Today about a month and a half, two months ago. Here's my problem. I think Bud Seelig, and I've said this many times on the show, is as much to blame for the steroid era as any player. Because you know what? He set the rules. The players were only going by the rules, not saying that cheating is right, but there was no policy against steroids or performance-enhancing drugs. And now C-League wants to kind of have a poster boy here in Giambi. Giambi comes out and basically admits that he cheated and that he's sorry. Do you think any other player is going to have the courage to come out after they see what's happened to Giambi? No way.
4: No, and you're absolutely right. I think it was a really – I think the whole direction that's being taken, this heavy-handed direction – the C League wants to be seen as a, as a, you know, a strong proactive commissioner, you know, and he's going to try and set the table and try and be a solid leader over all the other leagues. I think that there's really a chip on the shoulder with baseball in terms of how they're often compared to the NFL. There's certainly something to be said about that. There's certainly been a case of Congress breathing down uh, baseball's throat, and there's also been a case where I think that there's some. I won't say joy in it, but I certainly think that there's a situation going on right now where after years and years and years of being beat up by the Players Association, management is is in a position of power right now. And look, Seelig league is culpable. Certainly the Players Association is culpable in all of this. They're, they had to have known that this was going on. If they didn't, well, then you have to ask yourself about question the leadership for not knowing about it in the first place. As far as not having a player come forward, This is really a bad situation. You've had a player that's going to come out and say the right thing. Now, granted, I think that his response was kind of questionable, which we can get into in a second, but the idea that a player would come forward, that's what you want. And maybe it's a matter of baseball not liking it on their terms. I mean, there certainly could be that. It's, you know, speculative to say that. But instead of baseball being the one that would drive out and basically eradicate, you know, a quote-unquote bad guy who's using steroids, you've got the player basically you know, trumping them on it and doing it themselves. So I question why Giambi kind of went about it the way that he did. They certainly have history, the Players Association, and Giambi as a player have history on their side. They, they had Ferguson Jenkins in the 80s, who was busted for taking drugs into Canada when he was searched in customs. Um, he was under an investigation much like Giambi is with Balco. Um, and then Commissioner Bowie Kuhn went and, suspended him. They've, the Players Association filed a grievance. They won in the sense that the arbitrator ruled, look, you can't make him self-incriminate himself. You can't make him come and testify against himself. He's under investigation. He's basically hanging himself with his own rope. You can't do that. So Giambi clearly had that precedent-setting case working in his favor. Why he's going down this road, one really doesn't know. He mentioned his family. So that's the kind of route that we're going to have to take and try and believe him on face value for now.
1: Maury, we've only got about a minute and a half, two minutes left. I want to talk quickly about the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is taking place Tuesday night at AT&T Park, San Francisco. I was there earlier in the year. Tremendous ballpark. Talk about what having the All-Star Game means to the economy of the city that hosts the game.
4: Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things that it's a, it's a hallmark thing. It's why the teams that do have them, you know, fight and clamor them, over them. Uh, it, it showcases the city. It is truly one of the jewels, it, you know, in the sense that, Football has the Super Bowl, which is a single-day event. Uh, baseball has the All-Star Game really as its single event. Now, granted, they're trying to dovetail off of that with the Home Run Derby and make it basically a week-long festival in celebration of baseball before the World Series. It's in the summer. It really highlights the cities in a great way. A lot of people like to travel and go visit to see it because they know well in advance where it's going to be. Um, it's becoming more and more of a – visible thing in the media. I know that they're going to show batting practice online. You've got the Home Run Derby being you know, broadcast. So um, it means a lot to the economies of the cities that host them, and it's certainly great for the clubs that, that have them playing in their ballparks.
1: Well, Maury, I really appreciate you taking time. We always uh, seem to not have enough time, so we'll have to get you on again soon. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Mortons nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Again, Maury Brown, bizofbaseball.com. Great work. Make sure to check him out. Maury, thanks for joining us.
4: Ryan, always a pleasure. Thanks a lot.
1: We'll catch up with you soon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for custom-fit fine clothing and personal service to match, I call my friend Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. Tom James's highly trained sales professionals like Brian Tacker come directly to your home or office, saving you valuable time. Brian plans and coordinates my wardrobe, so I am perfectly attired for any situation, whether it's a TV interview, a press conference, or a fundraiser. The Tom James Company offers over 500 suit fabrics and 250 shirt fabrics, and they carry all the accessories you'll need, from belts and ties to shoes and socks. The Tom James Company has been in business for over 40 years, and 80% of their business is generated from repeat customers. Call Brian Tacker today at 503-807-7956, or find his information at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian Tacker and the Tom James Company, the official fine clothing partner of Sports Business Radio.
0: The website is
1: sportsbusinessradio.com. All right, it's our final segment, and I have got a big beef this week. Can someone please tell me why the hot dog eating showdown between Joey Chestnut and Takaru Kobayashi got so much frigging media attention i don't understand it okay chestnut broke his own world record by inhaling 66 hot dogs in 12 minutes after watching this bobby i will never eat another hot dog again but this thing was everywhere it was on espn it was on cnbc it was on the morning shows i've never seen anything like it since when did competitive eating become a sport it's a
3: slow news day
1: it, it must be a real slow news week because this thing was in the news cycle for two or three days. Again, here's the sad thing. This thing probably got better ratings than the NHL Stanley Cup.
3: Not to mention it's been replayed three or four times already on ESPN over the weekend and into this weekend. The funny thing is that the only reason why people care is Kobayashi had a mouth injury. And this was Chestnut's one chance to strike, and he did.
1: Well, and this Kobayashi guy, I guess, is the six-time champion, and now the trophy for the hot dog eating contest is back in the U.S. of A., and everyone here is excited about that. I think it's ridiculous. Competitive eating is not a sport. I don't want to see it on ESPN. If you want to cover it as a, uh, just a in-the-news story of the day, fine, headline news, whatever, but please, ESPN, do not promote hot dog eating as a sport. It is not a sport. Lots of thank yous on this week's show. Tim Canfield of OneUp, Maury Brown of TheBizOfBaseball.com. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's the Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and ProTrade.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand anytime you want via podcast. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you next weekend.